uh, your blessings and your love for us and your grace. God, I pray this morning you would help us to see you clearly, that our eyes would be turned to you. And we look forward to receiving from you your grace and your mercy. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. And while you are doing so, if you will turn to Exodus chapter 12, we will finish up uh, this morning talking about the similarities between um, the Passover and uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, I'm going to read one last time uh, that section uh, from Exodus 12, and then we will talk about um, the Word together. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to that which each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, and whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals in your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for your houses on which you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day shall be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And then down verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourself lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is on the basin to the lintel and to the doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised. And you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, What does this rite mean to you? You shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Father, we thank you for your word and for the testimony of truth that it gives us. God, I pray that you would use it today to encourage our hearts and to challenge us to be more like you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And Phil, we've rearranged something that next song we're going to do later. So if you want to skip through that, and then I'm going to make you go back to it a little bit later. Sorry. Um, so when I wasn't watching professional wrestling growing up, um, I do remember, and one of very fond memory is, my mother was always very good about helping me study. 
And we would sit wherever we sat, and she would call out things that I was supposed to memorize over and over again until I got it. Um, and in a weird sort of twisted way, I have this fond memory of sitting on our bed when I was a freshman and learning genus and species of bizarre worms and things. Why that's a fond memory, I have no idea, but it was. But it was through repetition, and she was kind of a stickler over and over again until you got it, that I learned things. And that's how life goes. It's how we learn things. Whether it's the genus and species of worms or whether it's scripture, whatever we do, repetition is what allows us to learn we learn through repetition. That's true in lots of life, whether you're playing sports or learning how to use a tool or learning how to play an instrument. Repetition makes you proficient. In, in the jobs that you do, those of you that, that hold down jobs, the reason that you do that well is because you've done it over and over again. There's some things that you can almost do without thinking because you've done it so many times. Repetition makes us proficient at what we do. But repetition is not just for ritual's sake. You don't just do those things over and over again. If you play sports, the coach doesn't have you do that skill over and over again just to do the skill. It's not for ritual's sake. It's for your sake. The coach or the teacher or the employer, whoever it is, wants you to be better at what you do. The repetition is because you and I need that, not because the coach or the employer or the instructor needs it. My biology teacher didn't need me to learn those things, but he thought it would be helpful in life if I worked on my memory, and if I chose to then go into biology, I would have some knowledge that I could carry on into. I didn't choose to do that, and I've forgotten all that, because if you don't continue to repeat things, we forget. That's what humans do. And so we're going to repeat the things we've talked about the last six weeks. Um, the Passover talks about new beginnings. God created a new nation and He gave them a new year. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we talk about us being new creations. For both of those, there was an emphasis on family. It was something that was celebrated within the family unit. God cares about individuals and individual families, even though He is in control of the vast number of people of God throughout history. Both of those things require preparation. For us today, that preparation mainly is prayer against temptation, that we need to watch and pray that we may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. And if we are not preparing by spending time with God in prayer, then we will succumb to that temptation. Both of those were centered around a sacrifice. Both of those called us to remember what God has done. And finally, they require repetition because we need that. God called the nation of Israel to repeat that Passover celebration year after year after year, even though it was not necessary. And they didn't need to kill the lamb anymore. There was no death angel going to come to bring judgment. They didn't need to get rid of the leaven anymore because they weren't trying to hurry to flee. But there was no reason for them to continue that celebration because its initial purpose was over. 
The danger from the Egyptians, the danger from that angel were past. So why did he have them do that? Why would they need to repeat this ritual every year the same way we need to? They needed it because the the Israelites were prone to forget the miraculous that had happened. They left Egypt. They came upon a body of water. There was an army on one side, a body of water on the other, and God turned that body of water into dry land, and they walked across. And not many days after that, they said, we're going to die of thirst. Ruth, the God who's able to move an entire sea out of the way so you could walk across can't provide water for you. They were prone to forget the miraculous. They needed those things to be repeated to remind them, oh yes, we serve a God who can do wonderful miracles. Second, they were prone to forget the evils of slavery. Right, you turn over just four chapters in Exodus. They haven't even gotten to Mount Sinai yet. And they were asking to go back. Sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They had forgotten how hard things were. They were moaning and complaining and griping about being in slavery. They, in fact, the Lord heard their cries to Him. Save us. And He did. Ah, we just want to go back. At least there was food. The Israelites and humanity tends to whitewash all the bad stuff and just remember the good stuff. And Passover was meant to remind them that God is the God of miraculous things. And He's the God that cares about them and wants to deliver them, continue to deliver them from whatever haunts them, whatever holds them. Again, we move forward to the the Lord's Supper. And Jesus also said, I want you to repeat this, this ritual, this rite. I want you to continue to do this. And He said, often. And why? That, that, that original meal that he re-imaged looked forward to his death. Well, when the death happened, why do we have to keep doing this? Right? Do, is it necessary for us to sort of understand that you're about to die when he's already died? And even Paul spoke pretty harshly about the Jews trying to re-establish certain rituals and say, you've got to do this to be a Christian. And why with the advent of of grace through faith, why do we need rituals to begin with? Well, for the same reason. You and I are prone to forget the miraculous. We forget that a miracle has happened in our life. How do we know? How do I know? How many of you have sinned this week? You don't have to raise your hand, but if if you weren't willing to raise your hand, then that's probably a lie and you should have raised your hand. Right? How many of you during the course of this week were put out by something. There was a line was too long, a light was too... Wait, we don't do long lights in Church County, do we? You probably didn't sit through a light that was too long, at least I hope not. But if you went to Atlanta, or somewhere else maybe you did, if something didn't go your way and you became a little annoyed, or maybe angry, or upset, or put out, right? 
And the reason that happens, the only reason that happens is we fail to remember or we choose to ignore that because of what happened on the cross, we really are dead to sin. But we forget that and we choose to enslave ourselves again to our passions, annoyance or lust or anger or frustration or impatience or lack of contentment. And things annoy us, things bother us in life because they didn't go the way we wanted because we're selfish. And that's because we forget that we're dead to sin. We don't have to buy into that idea that the world should revolve around me. Or we just choose to ignore it because I want the world to revolve around me and if you don't do the things the way I want you to do them, then I'm going to get upset with you. And in that moment, you've forgotten the miraculous. That what happened on the cross has impact, has effect today. Sunday, March 29th, 2015. You can choose to be dead to sin. You can choose to be selfless instead of selfish. We forget that the spirit that is in us is more powerful than whatever the world throws at us. So we also are prone to forget the miraculous. We're also prone to forget the evils of sin. We forget the shame and the guilt and the damage that sin does and we only remember sort of the good things. Oh yeah, that, was, that part was good. And we forget the rest of that. We forget that we were enslaved. We paint over all the stuff that we don't want to remember so that we can gratify our own desires and our own lusts. And like the Israelites, we need to rehearse the fact that we're dead to sin. We need to rehearse that. And so God gave us a way to do that. He said, I want you to take the bread and the fruit of the vine and I want you to, every time you eat that, I want you to remember what I've done for you. You need that constant reminder. You're not too smart, he basically was saying. And that's true. We're not that smart. We need to be reminded. Do you know why sometimes things take longer than you want them to take? Why lines are too long or lights are too long? you know why that is? Because you and I need to practice patience. Do you know why sometimes it seems that people are incompetent? That they mess things up and that sort of interferes with the way we want things to go? you know why that happens? It's so that you and I can practice kindness. And you and I can practice contentment. And so that we can demonstrate... It's, it's so that we need to practice because we need to practice, but also we can demonstrate that to the person who was incompetent. And we can show them this is how God responds to His children with kindness and contentment, even if you really louse things up today. Do you know why things don't turn out in life the way we want them to turn out? Why there's sickness and death and disease and accidents? you know why that is? One reason so that you and I can learn to trust that God really is in control, but it's also that we can demonstrate that trust to someone who is suffering and hurt and needs someone to come alongside them and say, God really is good. 
He really is trustworthy. All those things that annoy us and frustrate us and cause us to sin are opportunities really for us to manifest the grace and the wonder and the character of God to a world that needs to see Him. And we forget that. And we forget that and we think, oh, life really is about me. It revolves around my wishes and my wants and my desires. And so we repeat this as a reminder, oh yeah, life is not about me. The God of the universe chose to be completely selfless and die on a cross for me that I might have eternal life. And to remind us that sin really is poisonous. It's insidious. It doesn't come up and smack us upside the head. It, it sneaks up slowly. You've seen people do the experiment where I can tie one thin piece of thread around someone's arm and I can break that, right? But if I do five or ten, it gets a little harder. I probably can still break five or ten. But if I slowly wrap a couple of hundred, I wake up one day and go, where did these shackles come from? I can't get out of that, right? And we forget that that happens. And so we enslave ourselves to sin again. And we need that continual reminder of we need to repent and turn to God and turn our eyes to Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth that attract us or make us think that it's about us will grow strangely dim in the light of His glorious grace. And so He, he graciously commands us to repeat this ritual for our benefit because we need to remember that we are dead to sin. We need to remember that we are alive to righteousness. That through the power of the Holy Spirit we can choose to be selfless. We can choose to set aside those things that hinder us and keep us from walking with Him. Through the power of the Spirit, you and I have that ability. On our own, we don't. And this reminds us, oh yes, it's not up to me. It's not about me. I'm dependent upon the God of the universe for His grace and His mercy. And so to prepare for the celebration of the resurrection, we need to rehearse that we're dead to sin. And that's what this is. It's this rehearsal. As I take the bread the fruit of the vine. And as Paul says, I proclaim his death until he comes. But as I partake that, what I'm saying to myself and to everybody else in the room, as you look around and watch people do that, you're saying, I'm identifying with that one who died. And so I'm rehearsing my death. It is this little play acting in one sense of when you walk out the door today and someone does something to annoy you, Oh, I identify with that one who died. I can die in this moment. I can die to self and choose not to be annoyed when they've done something that they shouldn't have done. Instead, I can choose to live to righteousness and I can be kind and I can practice contentment and I can show love to this person who maybe is unlovable. And so this is a little rehearsal for the way we live throughout the week. As we proclaim Christ died, we also proclaim, and I died with Him. I died to sin. 
that I might live to righteousness. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing another song together and spend some time in prayer and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. Father, we are amazed that you are patient and long-suffering. We forget moment to moment and you have remembered your covenant with your people for hundreds and thousands of years. And you're faithful. And you are faithful. And you are good. And we praise you for that. God, we ask that you would use this ritual that we participate in to show us that our need for you is great. Help us to hunger, God, and thirst after you. Not after this little piece of bread and and thimble full of juice, but after you, the true bread and the fountain of living waters. But we ask that you would use this to remind us of what you have done for us and who we are in the power of the Spirit. That the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. May we know that deeply in our souls today. So we look forward to what you will do in and through us through our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And would you stand as we sing again?